I think if I had the mentality of taking the 500 and feeling okay with it, mm. then I'd be back to the dependent person that doesn't hit a bot. Like, all right, yeah, then I'm going to take money from you. And whoever is willing to give me money or put me up on their couch or mm-hmm. let me stay in their house for six months or give me free food, mm-hmm. I'm just going to take, 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 take. So there's a mentality difference, right? There's like, yeah. Hey everyone, my name is Al Gugliotta, and I want to welcome you to the Unlearning Project. Okay, I'm here with my co-host, Virginia Elder. Hey, Virginia. Hey, Al. (laughs) We were talking a little bit before the recording, and the quote that I'm going to refer back to is something along the lines of you shouldn't deny somebody of their bottom Mm. and not so much hitting your bottom. Everybody knows about what bottoms are. You know, you think of like some movie with an alcoholic that wakes up on a street corner on a curb and is homeless and dirty, lost everything, lost everything, (laughs) just down and out. That's his cliche bottom. It's not good for someone for you to deny them of their bottom. I never heard it put that way. You never want somebody to hit bottom. So, yeah, our instinct is to save and help and yeah, prop them up, you know, teach or produce resources or just something to Get like the help. money. Right here, you could stay at my yeah. house. I'll give you food. I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you. I'll help you through that. And then they never ever hit this bottom. So they're always held up and they never build any resilience to hold themselves up. And I was thinking it was literally like on the tip of my tongue before we started recording. The first conversation I had with my daughter, Mia, where there was like a little bit of tension because she requested something that like, she's 14. Okay. Yeah. She's got two piercings in her ears, right? Two on each ear. That's fine. She tells me and her mom the other day that she's thinking about getting a nose ring. Okay. I'm like, no, you're not. (laughs) I honestly never tell her no. Yeah. She's a kid that's never been grounded. She's never been punished. I mean, I've had like a strong word with her here and there. If she was like, out of line, but yeah, it's very rare. We just get along well. She does her thing. She's a great kid. Yeah. So far, so good. And you're very open or you seem like you're very open to just letting her experiment and live her life and figure it out. Yes. Okay. And so she tells me she wants to get the nose ring that's in the middle, like the one that like looks oh. like a bull, right? Ooh, the bull. I'm covering my face right now because I cannot. <laughs> right. That's the feel. It's almost like this. Ah, oh, like no. I can't handle and it. And that's literally what I said. I'm like, no. I'm like, don't do that. She's like, why not? Like, I like it. You know, I've seen other people with it. I'm like, first of all, you could do anything you want. I just like the stupid, like old fashioned parent thing. Mm-hmm. Like you can do whatever you want when you're out of this house at 18. And you know, <laughs> like you're not getting any bull nose piercing when you're 14 years old. And her mom was of uh, course completely on, we we're on the same page with that. Okay. So that's what I was going to ask. What did mom say? Oh, hundred percent. We're both like, and we're on the same page with almost everything. I would say okay. 99%. I've seen the side ones yes. and sometimes they look very cute. I've seen the eyebrow ones. I've even seen like a lip. I've or seen something. a lip. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, you could take that out, whatever. But I don't know why, but the center of the nose one really freaks me out. Oh, oh my God. It's almost as bad as like a nipple or like genitalia oh. or like. <laughs> I'm 
a total wimp. Like I don't have a tattoo. I don't have anything like that. I do have several ear piercings, but that's like the extent of my right, <laughs> like adventurous side. And I'm not sure why I just thought of like that whole situation because she was cool with it. I'm like, you're not getting anything. If you want to get it when you're 18, that's your choice. You do what you want. Right. She's like, okay. I wasn't like, we have this, oh. I want to get it now. There's no 14 year old has these nose Forget it. I mean, come on. Okay. She just was like pushing her boundaries and just testing you. Okay. Testing the waters. Yes, totally. Which she doesn't normally do. I don't know what that has to do with a bottom, but. Well, did you feel like maybe because you finally told her no about something big that if you had said yes, that it would be this. Spiral of. Right. Maybe. Maybe she would just kind of go down this tangent and be covered in tattoos and piercings one day. and that- Kind of. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. Again, more of an old-fashioned. Think of what other people, their first impression of you is going to be, especially if you want to be like an actress. And then she's like, well, I would just take it out. I'm like, well, that's fair enough. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. you could just take it out. But again, it's just that feeling of like, ugh, like, oh, don't do that. Why would you do <laughs> right there of all places? You know, like, ugh. Did you feel like, Saying no was preventing her from hitting her bottom. Easy life, 14-year-old bottom. Maybe. I'm not sure what I thought. I think it was just the first like very uncomfortable moment where I was like, what's up with this? Mm-hmm. And she's like, nothing. I just like it. And she wasn't really even asking to get it done now. She was just saying that she liked it. And so just for her saying she liked it, I was like, why? I want to know your thought process here. Yeah. It's like getting a face tattoo. Like, you're going to get a face tattoo? I mean, <laughs> not that she said that, but like, if somebody told me they're going to get a face tattoo, I'm like, don't do your face. Right. You could cover your body with a shirt. Yes. Don't do your, you know, there's no shirt for your face, right? I or mean, like the fingers, like the top letters across your fingers. Yeah, oh, the knuckles. Yeah. You start getting tattoos on your hands. You can't cover that. Like I you know. go for a professional interview or you got to do pictures or anything. Yeah. Or like neck. Can't do face, neck. Yeah. Again, I'm saying you can't do, you can do whatever you want, obviously, but right. why would you, I don't know why, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, I feel like judgmental. Just because I don't like it, just because it gives me this queasy kind of feeling just thinking about it, doesn't make it wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't know. When it's your kid, it's different. It is. Okay. So that leads into what your friend told you the other day. Y'all were talking about this quote, right? Yeah. So tell me about that conversation. So I was kind of like throwing around the idea to him that, you know, I heard this quote, it hit me, it struck a chord where someone says, you should never deny somebody of hitting their bottom. Mm. And he kind of looked at me. He's like, yeah, that's all well and good until it's your kid. Mm. And I was like, you're kind of right. Wow. But at the same point, just because it's hard and just because it's super difficult doesn't make it good for your kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've all seen these like intervention shows where like they get the kid, they throw him into a room with the whole family and everybody reads a letter to them saying, if you continue to do this, you know, I'll know we're going to take this, this, and this away from you. And we're never going to talk to you again. And we're never going to, that's like a bottom. But when it's your kid, it's so gut wrenching mm-hmm. for a friend. It's almost like easier. Like not that you want to see a friend hit a bottom, but you could sort of be like real direct with a friend and yeah. you'd feel bad about it, but not at the level of your own child. Yeah, absolutely. And so you start to think of a person in your life that has 
I don't know. That's on like government assistance that maybe doesn't need to be that mm-hmm. is just taking handouts from family and friends. That's just the way they are. They're always like sleeping mm-hmm. on someone's couch or always losing their job or down and out. And Yeah. And if you never let them fall, like really fall, all right, you're going to be homeless for a little while. All right. Mm-hmm. You're going to like literally go bankrupt and you're never going to get credit and you're never going to have a credit card. And you're just not going to have any money until you literally dig yourself out of this hole yourself. Yeah. Literally, I know people in my life that never hit that bottom. Mm. I don't know how they do it because I know how expensive life is. So I don't get how they do it. But it <laughs> seems like there's a handful of people in my life, not that are very close, but that I know of that just keep floating on by. I don't know how the hell they do it. They don't make any money. They always have a cell phone. I mean, they always have a place to live. They eat, they have clothes. Yeah. Where does this money magically come from? I don't know. Mm. I mean, they're not happy. I don't think they're happy. I think when you do so much, maybe not you, but somebody may be helping them out. Right. But I can think of a situation where we helped someone out Mm -hmm. and... (sighs) It's almost like when you help someone and prevent them from hitting that bottom, they remain there. Yeah. And they they just live there, like you were saying. Whereas a lot of times, probably in your own life too, I know in my life, I can think of situations where I felt like that was a very serious moment, some level of rock bottom somewhere, depending on what different categories of life, right? Like you got your relationships, you got your money. You've got maybe career path, you've got kids, family, you know, just all different things. So you can kind of pick out in each of those categories, like, damn, that situation was really tough. Maybe that was a bottom. But those bottoms are typically what catapult you into determination and drive Mm -hmm. and fixing your situation and making sure that you don't go back where you felt that way. Yeah. Whereas like that friend that I have in mind, we let him live with us for six months, Mm -hmm. at least. It could have been a year. I don't know. He's always been kind of a lost soul. And so we definitely feel for him. He's a nice person. Great Mm -hmm. to talk to. But for some reason, he just cannot find his way in life. Mm -hmm. And we felt like, okay, you know, he doesn't want a roommate for whatever reason, or he couldn't find somebody. And so... He lived here for a bit. We do trust him. You know, he's around our kids and all that. A good human, but just could not get on his feet. Yeah. He ended up losing his job while he lived here. Oh, God. Okay. And I ended up telling him, like, I get it. It's fine. I'm willing to give you some grace, you know, with rent and all that. As long as I can see that you're trying and that you're interviewing and that you're looking for another job. And so we kind of said, okay, like in about three months, let's reevaluate. And it kind of got to that point and the rent is kind of piling up that he owes. And I'm like, what's going on? And he did seem motivated at first. And that motivation started to fade. And I started to see like, what is he even doing? Yeah. Like, has he come out of his room today? Like what's going on? Yep. And he's an adult. You're trying to respect his space, but you're also like... You're in my house. Bro, I got kids. You're in my house. Yeah. You got to pay rent. (laughs) And you can't be sitting around watching TV all day. This isn't a vacation. Yeah. And then your baby is depressed. Yeah. Maybe he's just, who knows, right? Yeah. And we did try and talk with him and 
help him through just some of the emotional stuff that happens when you do lose your job and trying to keep him motivated and say like, okay, well, what are your skills? Like, do you need a connection to a resume writer? Like, what do you need? I have resources. I can help you. Right. And yeah, it just never worked. Yeah. They just can't get traction, right? It's just sort of like nothing ever. Exactly. I know a similar person. We ended up kicking him out and I felt terrible because he had nowhere else to go except back to his parents' place. And we're like 35-year-old adults here, you know? At least you have your parents. I mean, that's honestly. (sighs) Yeah. We feel bad. But I'll tell you what, even still to this day, he lives at his parents' house. Yeah. He has not gotten on his feet and I feel terrible. And I just wonder, like, should we have helped more? Should we have helped less? He's a smart human. I can't figure it out. It doesn't seem like that's the defining characteristic of somebody that's successful, just because you're smart. Right. Sometimes it's a hindrance almost. If you're too smart, (laughs) you overthink stuff and you you just never get going, you know? Yes. And we talked about that was completely him. And we talked about so many moments where he would kind of get on this thing and be talking to us about all this stuff that was going through his head. And I would tell him like, stop. Yeah, You're overthinking it. You're diving in too deep. You need to look at it this way. Look at it that way. And he'd walk away going, okay, okay, cool. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I got you. And shoot, the next day it'd be the same conversation. And uh, yeah. Anyways. It's tough. And that's the tough thing about letting, because you're watching this person, they can barely tread water, right? They're not even Mm -hmm. treading, you're holding them up. Mm -hmm. And you're almost in some way kind of begging them, like, please. Get your shit together. Get your shit together. Like, (laughs) whatever that means to you, you got to like the bare minimum. Yeah. And I'm guessing he had no kids. Yeah. He wasn't married. Yeah. Just a single guy. And we were supposed to be a bridge in a way, like live with us for a few months, you know, save up your money, you know, give you a good rent rate, help us out around the house a little bit. And when you find a roommate, you guys go get an apartment close to your job or something. I mean, rice and beans, pasta, ramen noodles cost nothing. Yes. You can live off that for a long time. And we did as a family. I think I've shared with you yeah. before. We went through our own like rock bottom as our family alone outside of his story. Yeah. With debt and yep. considering bankruptcy and just wondering like, right. what the hell should we do? Yeah. You feel like you're just literally in deep water, just treading. You're like, how long could I do this for? Right. Yes. I don't know if I've told you this, but we used to, and the kids were little and they thought it was fun and fine. So yeah, kids don't care. We got away. (laughs) That's the other thing. Kids don't care about any of the poor stuff. (laughs) So we would, there's a Burger King down the street and they have pretty good coupons that come in the mail. And at the time you could get like a family pack for, it was like $8.99, two big burgers and fries and sodas. And then the kids were babies. So we'd get them like a little dollar burger. So basically 10 bucks feed the whole family. Wow. We would get little containers and put like our own jalapenos and stuff like from the refrigerator and bring your own sliced cheese because they charge you extra for cheese. Uh. (laughs) And we'd go and sit in the play area so the kids could go climb around and we'd kind of like remake our sandwiches Yeah, and sit there. And that was once a week. We could go spend those $10 and do that. That's how tight things were. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And as a family and like watching your little babies like that and you're like, you have $10. (laughs) That's hard. That seems super hard. 
that was our rock bottom for sure. But don't you think there's people like, say, like, I don't know, just some third world country that come over here mm-hmm. that would think that situation was tolerable and not bad at all. Yeah. Or fantastic that you get to go out to eat for once a week. How awesome is that? Right. But it's weird how like there's levels to it, right? Yes. And I'm with you. Like you're telling me the story about 10 bucks at Burger King for a family. And I'm like, that feels constricting and like hyperventilating. Mm. Like, oh shit, I'm really hitting a place where like I'm hand to mouth. There's nothing extra. Yeah. Well, and the behind the scenes to that is that there was plenty of, well, I can pay this bill for that week and then that bill has to wait. Right. And the paycheck is coming in and, you know, timing things and transferring things. Stressful. I mean, there was a lot of behind the scenes to where that $10 was the only thing we had to go out to eat because any other penny went somewhere. That's why I'm saying that was rock bottom. Well, so imagine you had a family member that was not even wealthy, but just had money. Mm -hmm. And they saw you going through this and they step in. They'd be like, listen, nobody needs to live like this. Mm -hmm. Here's some money. I'm going to give you money every week. Take the kids out to eat. Do this, do this, do this. Do you think that would have been helped you or like hindered you in the long run? Because I tend to think maybe people are all people are different, but I tend to think Mm -hmm. in the majority of those circumstances getting help in those desperate situations, I'd say most of the time is like a hindrance. Yeah. Because then you rely on it. And then you're kind of like, oh, somebody just solved my problem for me. Right. When you don't know what it's like to only have those $10. Yeah. That pain is done and quick and short and over. And you only had to suffer through that for a few weeks versus there it is months and months and months and being like, shit, are we ever going to get out of this? Like, yeah. Oh, and then the experience of, oh, we paid one thing off. Oh, yeah. thank goodness we don't have that one minimum payment anymore. And so you have, shoot, what, 200 bucks of extra in your budget. And that feels like a huge win yeah. at that time. And so you don't get that experience of those little baby wins mm-hmm. that are encouraging you. You get somebody that's like just giving you money. And then plus it depends on what someone's going to give you. Are they going to give you an extra 20 bucks a week? And what would you do with that? Would you blow it on out to eat or would you funnel it towards a debt? Because then you still just have your 10 bucks and you're still in pain and you're like, thank you. Right. So it depends on how you're going to use it. It's a very like touchy situation. I think it's different from most people. It's just different. Yeah. But I think if you don't have the help, And if you have like this chronic kind of fear and a chronic, Mm -hmm. what's the word? If it's like a chronic situation where like you're really fearing this searing kind of a combination of things like fear, embarrassment, Mm -hmm. just not being able to like fend for yourself. Mm -hmm. That stuff like for me, I never want to go through it again, but it did wonders for me. Yeah. Because I'll never forget it. It made me, I hate to use the word desperate, but desperate is kind of the word. Oh, absolutely. I felt desperate at that time. Desperate. Yeah. I'll just do anything. And so then like when you start building, you always kind of remember that. And I'm not trying to say like, Mm -hmm. like somebody becomes rich and famous and like, they always have the story of like, well, I was poor and, you know, I used to live off nothing. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, a lot of people progress in life and then can't relate to their past. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if your rock bottom was truly rock bottom, I think what you're saying is that you will never forget what that felt like. Like it will bring you to tears to this day if you think about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or you'll get that ping. Remember that? Yeah. The thing you said last episode where you had that ping of fear that everything would be taken away from or like, that's the same feeling. It's just like a panic attack. I mean, it's like this short little burst of panic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you don't want to feel that. And you don't want to feel that so bad that you'll do anything to not feel that. Yes. And then when you have the person that you're propping up, what you're basically telling them is, listen, I'm giving you this because you can't fend for yourself. And so you're literally solidifying in their mind the belief that they have in themselves of like, I can't fend for myself. I need handouts. Mm. I need help. And I'm not saying don't help people. We had an instance when I played in the church band where there was somebody in the band that we played with that they were handing around an envelope saying, contribute money for so-and-so's rent. They can't make their rent this month. So we put money in this envelope and blah, 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 she paid the rents. But it continued to happen. Then a few months later, let's pass around the envelope, let's pay rent. And then it just became a thing over two and a half years that it was like it never ended. Like it was just kind of, she just never could pay rent. And I started to realize that wasn't the first time I realized, but it solidified my belief of like, you can't continue to do that. You got to let them not pay rent get kicked out, have that searing jolt of pain of like, I'm freaking home. I'm embarrassed. I'm yeah. I mean, you don't want to see people go through this stuff, but. And not just, but each human has to get to a point where they have to prioritize what's important to them. Mm. And so like with panic attacks, it has to be an environment change. It has to be your mental space. Like you have to prioritize those health components for yourself with rent or like our debt situation, it was like, we had a legit conversation about, look, no matter what, we're paying for the house because I will not have my babies out on the street. Right. And if I don't pay the credit card or if the electricity goes out or if something else goes out, then that's just how it is. Yeah. But we're paying rent and we're keeping this damn house. Right. Prioritize. And it was one of those very emotional, like, intense conversations that was like, this is the extreme priority. Yeah. Definitive. Like just basically this is the priority. This is the way it has to, we're not losing the house, having a place to live. Right. And maybe for other people, it would be a different priority. But for us, I looked at things at that time and was like, we're not going anywhere else. Like this is it. Yeah. Those other things will slide. You can call the electricity company and work out a deal with them. Same thing with your credit. It'll ruin your credit. Yeah. But you can do it. And we did that. We went through it. And I remember every step of the way and how impactful every one of those phone calls was. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things you'll never forget. Your panic attack. You'll never forget what that felt like. No, never. I have a list of them. I mean, I again, not to basically tell everybody all my problems. And I don't think my problems are... (laughs) I know. Let's just air all of our laundry here. (laughs) Yeah. But there are like these definitive moments of bottoms that I've hit. Like when I was Mm -hmm. broke, like you just said, when I was 23, 24, Mm -hmm. and we're basically scrounging up change in the sofa cushions to get breakfast on like a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. That's a bottom. Mm -hmm. It's more mental than physical. I never thought I was going to starve. Like I never thought like, oh my God, I'm going to die of malnutrition because I don't have money. Mm -hmm. But it's this mental like fatigue of like, gee, I don't know where the next dollar is coming from. Yes. I know if I continue working, it'll probably happen, but there's no Mm -hmm. guarantee. Yeah. So through each of those situations, it sounds like we both had the perseverance to be like, I know this will be okay eventually. I just have to keep going. Just put your head down. 
And then on the flip side, for the people that don't do that, Mm -hmm. then they have a lifetime of dependency, right? And some form or another, which I think is the worst existence possible. You don't want that for your kids, but especially for a male, like somebody that's supposed to be a provider, like to be someone that Mm -hmm. I can't even support myself. And yeah, so I mean, letting somebody hit that bottom, you don't want to watch somebody go down the tubes. It's like they have to know what that worst shit feeling in the world feels like to know that they don't want to live a life like that. But don't you feel like, so you're looking at this friend that you were mentioning before Uh and you're like, why doesn't he feel that? I would feel it in his position, Mm -hmm. but he's not still not feeling it. How far down do you have to go Mm -hmm. to feel what I would be feeling? You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. I guess that's what you're juggling that you're like thinking to yourself, I could continue to help him, but is he really going to get out of this? So yeah. He has to give me some assurance that there's a point to this, right? Right. Well, and there's moments where like you had a conversation and he's in tears and he's like, I'm working on it and whatever. And you believe in that moment that it's going to change. And then as time goes on and you see less and less interviews and he's not coming out of his room and you're like, what is going on? And then he seems kind of distant. You're like, okay, something is not working here. But yeah, absolutely. If I had to like ask my friends to live with them and all of that, I would feel it. And then same thing, like he, you know, back at your parents' house, I would feel that. Oh God. Yeah. But he's still there. Yeah. I'm not sure what the difference is. It's like you said, maybe it's a personality thing or something, but for me, there are several, I mean, even just not many, but fights with your spouse. Yeah. With any relationship, there are moments where you're in a tiff Mm -hmm. that you think, holy shit, is this the end? Right. And you have to evaluate in that moment, what am I going to do if it is the end? What am Mm. I going to do if we're good? Can I get past this? What has to happen to get past? And so you go through this thought process. And there again, you're prioritizing. Yeah. If this blows up, (laughs) what are the priorities for each of us? Yeah. And, you know, of course, if it plays out bigger, then maybe you do get a divorce. But even in relationships that are solid, that are still existing. Yeah. There's some arguments there that you think. Of course. Are we done? Like, oof, this is bad. Yeah. Can we really live through this? Can we really move past this? Yeah. Or is this always going to be an issue? Or is it Yeah. the dead end that we're never going to get past? I don't know. Yeah. Or can we agree to disagree on this one topic and just say, you know what? We don't talk about this. <laughs> right. It's okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think you have to be able to prioritize and see what pieces in the relationship, if that's what the argument is, what matters to you. And right. Yeah. Is that rock bottom or is it not? But I think if you had like in just a situation where you're watching somebody go down Mm. and you want to help, I would say the majority of the time it's best to like, if I had the balls to do it, I would just let them, I would give them no help. Literally. Yeah. I have done it with one friend where I was like, no, you're a grown man. And like, you can figure this out. Like I literally said those words to somebody, which I hate. Like it was sucked to say. Yeah. But I'm like, you're not getting any hit. Like you don't need a handout. And if I give it to you, it's not going to help. Right. You You think it is right now in this moment, but it's not going to help you at all. And then I try to think of all the stories of people that are successful that started from nothing. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't give that up for the world. That's their story. Oh, yeah. Like the story of their success is all predicated on where they started from. Absolutely. If they started from something, 
Like, what kind of story is that? Well, my parents gave me all this money and then I became successful. Like nobody yeah. talks about that. Right? And then I bought a $10 million <laughs> building and yeah, you know, my life was great from there. Like, <laughs> right. I worked so hard. And nobody gives a shit about those stories. They don't. The stories that people love that you can tell over and over are the rock bottom to riches stories because it's oppressive and amazing and influential. Right. So, <sighs> and so back to the point of like, never deprive somebody of their bottom, like let them freaking hit it. Like let them, because mm-hmm. I think back to, and I'm not saying I didn't get help. Like, I did get help. Like at moments. Yeah. It's not like I have zero help. Oh yeah. Us too. We had friends that, you know, would invite us out to dinner and I would hesitate and they would say, we're paying. Yeah. We want y'all to come. And that meant everything. Oh my goodness. But yeah, we had help, but not, nobody paid our bills for us. Right. I remember like being 24, 25, working on commission, making no money and being in debt, Mm. just scraping by, like you said, trying to pay the minimum payments on things and juggling car payment, like just sucky existence. And I got desperate and I called my uncle Mm -hmm. and I asked him for 500 bucks. I was like, listen, I'm like underwater here. I'm really like struggling. And he's like, oh, I don't know. I'd have to talk to your parents before I do anything like that. It was like, give me this whole like song and dance. And (laughs) and I was like, forget it. You know, I was pissed off. Like, forget it. I don't need it. You know, never mind. (laughs) And I went to my parents. I went to my mom. I'm like, mom, could I borrow $500? And she immediately gave it to me. Hmm. And I freaking hated it. That was the funny thing is like getting the money, I think was part of that was my bottom. It was my bottom was. I got so low that I asked my mom as a grown man for money and I had no kids. I had no mortgage payments. I mean, I can't even, what? what? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. It just became clear just talking about it, that that was the bottom. The bottom wasn't needing the 500, it was asking for the 500. Yes. And actually receiving it. And then it's like guilt money. Oh, (laughs) right. But in the end, I will say in the end, you took good care of her. So total payback. (laughs) I agree. <laughs> and then some, See, right? it all comes around. <laughs> exactly. Maybe she paid me that money for that reason. <laughs> She's like, this man's going to take care of me when I'm old. I'm going to give him some money. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to need him later in life. Yeah. <laughs> that might be the case. I think if I had the mentality of taking the 500 and feeling okay with it, mm. then I'd be back to the dependent person that doesn't hit a bot. Like, all right, yeah, then I'm going to take money from you and Whoever is willing to give me money or put me up on their couch or mm-hmm. let me stay in their house for six months or give me free food. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take, 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 take. So there's a mentality difference, right? There's like, yeah. and again, I'm not saying I'm not better than anyone else or my mentality is better. I just have this. I think some people have a natural drive to want to be on their own and it pisses them off to ask for help or to receive help. It's just so demoralizing to ask. And there's other people that will just like, heck yeah, bring it in, you know, hand it over to me. And they will continue to ask and continue to live like that. And they don't see anything wrong with it. Or maybe they feel a little bit embarrassed, but just not enough to really change anything, you know? But hey, if you're going to hand it to me, then why am I going (laughs) to? Like, I'm embarrassed, but I'll get over it. Yeah. (laughs) Eat me some steak over here, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Why am I eating burgers when I could be eating filet mignon? Right, right. No, I definitely agree. And I could see this playing out a situation of a layoff. 
that could cause you to kind of hit rock bottom, depending on what you felt was your responsibility or your bills or whatever. But even just your mental space, like it could be an avalanche effect of you get laid off and you can't get another job and then the bills are piling up and then you start to go into depression and then. Exactly. There's a spiral of other mental kind of things going on. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like a one size fits all kind of Mm -hmm. situation. Like people have different mental states, different seasons of life, different mental capacities. Mm -hmm. When people go through depression and have intense anxieties and Sometimes that prevents them from being able to get a job or like being able to get motivated enough to put out resumes or just, you know, get on their feet. So you got to take a lot of this into account. It's not just a blanket statement that everybody's got to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and they got to do what I did and make hit bottom and then bounce right back and then make all this money and be successful. And yeah, I think what happens with what we talked about earlier too, was like the stock market going down in my life. Every time the market goes down, it hits this little button in me that brings back that jolt, that jolt Mm -hmm. of panic. And it's not rational because like whatever happens one day in the market doesn't affect my lifestyle, but it does give me this feeling of like, oh, money goes away. (laughs) It doesn't doesn't always go up. It goes down. And it's just for whatever reason, even though it's not rational and it doesn't affect my lifestyle currently, it hits that button of like, you can lose everything. And that you get that feeling of like being desperate again. And you go back Mm. to that instance where you have no money. Interesting. But again, a non-rational thought process, but it happens repetitively. Yeah. That's why it's not good to look at the stock market. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think that's necessary though. I think we need little reminders throughout life to kind of just wake you up, make you focus, whatever, I don't know. It sounds pessimistic. So you're not complacent, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't get too comfortable. Well, and I think what we've kind of shared before is we do have good lives, but that doesn't mean that every day is rainbows and roses and sunshine. I mean, you do need that slap in the face to be like, oh, I got to pay more attention to this, or I, yeah. I need to do this, or I need to take care of myself, or I should eat healthier, or I should, whatever. You need those little reset buttons throughout life. Because if not, like you're not gonna continue to do your research and invest and do whatever to continue to build your wealth. If you're never like, Ooh, I might lose something. Yeah. Where's the happy median? Like where's the sweet spot in that? Because like you can lean one side too far where you're like constantly getting that jolt and like, it's just stressful. And now you become like a worried person mm-hmm. or you can go to the other side where you're complacent. Now you don't think of that at all. And you're just like spending frivolously. And you're not really thinking about like worst case scenarios at mm-hmm. all. So I'm always conscious of that. And I would definitely say, and we've talked about this before, I lean more towards the side of worrying too much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like knowing, feeling that jolt almost too often, having like different triggers we talked about like if you cross like a certain finish line, <laughs> you just raising the bar. <laughs> the finish line just goes further out. Yeah. So then you never feel that sense of like, I mean, you're just always on that merry-go-round. Yeah. So I do feel that a little bit. I shared with you recently, I don't know if it was on air or not, but that I had had a great month in my business, one of my biggest months ever. 
And yes. I had had this bottle of champagne that I bought at New Year's. And I just was like, hmm, I'll just grab an extra one because I have this goal in mind. And when I hit that goal, I'm going to open this extra bottle of champagne. Okay. That day came mm-hmm. where I exceeded that goal. And there was something inside me that was like, oh, just like save that champagne for the <laughs> this next goal. Like you don't need that now. That wasn't. Don't celebrate now. Yeah, This isn't worthy of that celebration. Like uh. it was the weirdest realization of the very tangible sense that there's always that bar raising. Yeah. You achieve this goal. Oh, but it's not that big of a deal now that you achieved it. Yeah. It was the weirdest thing. And so I made myself open that bottle. Like I didn't even oh, well, good. feel that celebratory. I just was yeah. like, no, I bought this for this. I'm doing it. I'm going to pop the bottle and go, we, you know, <laughs> make a big deal yeah. and just force myself to celebrate. I know. It's like, when is it good enough? Yes. And then it just keeps getting pushed out. Yeah. I think that's just like something we're going to maybe not struggle with. But it's going to be something that's always like what we have to be conscious of because mm-hmm. it's very easy to do that. Every time I think about booking a vacation, I get that feeling. I'm like, do you really deserve a vacation? <laughs> I'm like, what deserve? Like you said, worthy. Worthy is like kind of a funny word. Like, am I worthy of a vacation? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean? You're a human being. You're alive. Like, What's the criteria for being worthy of a bottle of champagne or, you know what I mean? And then, yeah. all right, so you put these goals out there, you make that goal. Now it's okay to have a vacation and treat yourself right. Right. Like, what if you just like had a bottle of champagne for the sake of just having a bottle of champagne? Exactly. Or just went on a vacation because you didn't fucking do anything. You didn't achieve any goal. Right. Because you're just worthy of a break or a celebration. Right. It's interesting. I've told you the story before. It was from Tim Ferriss, where he talks about the Mexican fishermen. Mm. So there's this American businessman that goes to Mexico. He goes on this boat with this Mexican fisherman, small boat. And the fisherman's, you know, he basically catches a few fish. And the businessman's asking him, he's like, so what do you do every day? And the fisherman's like, you know, I go out, I sleep late in the morning. I go out fishing. I catch some fish with my family. I give some to friends. I have dinner, I have a siesta with my wife, and then I spend the nights just sipping on wine and playing guitar with my amigos. Okay. He's like, oh, okay. He's like- Sounds great. Honestly, he's like, you don't want to do that. What you should do is you should get 10 boats like the one you have. So you have one boat where you catch fish, you should get 10 of these, get a fleet of boats. And then what will happen is you'll be able to catch 10 times the amount of fish you're catching now, and then you'll make all of this money. And then once you make all this money- you could basically sell it to like a large company and then a large company will pay you millions of dollars for this fleet of boats that you've built. And he's like, really, senor? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, now why would I do that? And the businessman's like, so that, you know, you could basically sleep late and, you know, have siesta with your wife and then sip wine and play, you know, the moral of the story being like the life he's living right now is the same as if he was retired with $20 million. Yes. Like, why not just live the life you want to live? Yeah. Like, why do we think we have to accomplish this stuff Mm -hmm. to live a simple life that we're going to live? It's like this weird kind of 180 on your life where you're like, Mm -hmm. I can live the way I want to live now. Most of the things I like to do, maybe it's same with you, are the things I like to do are free. Yeah. Like, I like hiking. I like being outside. I like running. I like working out. I like reading. Either like very cheap or free, 
you know? Right. Yeah, I like to travel. That costs money. I get it. But like 80% of the things I want to do, relatively inexpensive or free. Right. And in my mind, I can't do all those things until, right? Yes. Until I'm like retired and I don't have all this work stuff to do. I got to build this quote unquote empire first. Right. Before I can be free to do all this stuff. Yeah. So my alignment with that is that I always pictured if I worked from home, I would do this, this, and this. I would wake up in the morning, I would run and then do yoga and then do this and then do that and then start work and then quit it too and do whatever I want for the rest of the afternoon and swim every day in the summer. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you just have this vision. This ideal, right? Yeah. And I don't do any of that. I'm so driven to hustle that I come in here and sit down at my computer. And then, yeah, it's just hard for me to step away. Right. And I'm working on that. I think some of it is corporate conditioning, but... And little kids. Yeah. I mean, that takes up time. Exactly. And that's not bad time. It's just the stage of life you're in, right? Yes. But it is funny because I definitely had that perspective or assumption Yes, that my life would be different in all these ways. Once you got out of corporate, yeah. It is different, but it's not structured like that. I guess in our idealist visions, our, your fantasy of that, mm-hmm. you're not thinking about the limited energy a person has. <laughs> in your fantasy, you have unlimited energy. I wake up, I go for a run, I do yoga, I read a book, then I get to work and then I do this. And I'm like, come on. I'm like, every day <laughs> you would burn yourself out. Yeah. Even doing fun stuff. like. There's only so many things. You know how fast a day goes by. Have you seen, it's like a meme, 8 p.m. me lays out my running clothes and does this and does that and whatever and thinks like tomorrow me is going to do all these things. And then 8 a.m. me is like, nah, F that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because at night you like have all these ideas for what you're going to do the next day. Right. And then morning you is like, I'm tired. Can I just? Like have some coffee. (laughs) You're two different people, right? It's like, yeah, you're all motivated at one point until you actually have to do it. Yes. Or you think of like the to-do list that just keeps getting carried over. Mm -hmm. Maybe you get half of it done and then that rolls over to the next day plus more things. Yes. And then you just never get through the, it's just this endless to-do lists. Right. And then remember like the times when you get sick or like for whatever reason you have to stop. Yeah. The world still goes on. But when you're healthy and you're doing all this stuff, you think that you can't stop this to-do list. Yeah. You're just on a hamster wheel. You're Mm -hmm. on that train. I don't know how this got into this conversation as far as (laughs) hitting your bottom. (laughs) So is there any other examples of when you hit bottom or you think that it was a bottom in your life? Yeah. Bottom meaning where you feel, in my opinion, it's just feeling this sense of hopelessness, sense of like kind of just despair, just I don't Mm -hmm. know what to do. And my only strategy here is to put my head down and just try to get through it. You know, Mm -hmm. they say like when you're going through hell, just keep going like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, Just keep problem solving like day after day for as long as it takes problem solve. I think everybody's got these. My five Mm -hmm. that I wrote down were Broke without a safety net when I was young. That just was a feeling of, I don't ever want to have that feeling again. Yeah. Panic attacks sucks. 
because you don't feel like in control of your body and you just feel like you're just out of control. It's a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. And if you've never had one, it's hard to describe. But yeah, to being divorced with a two-year-old girl, that was like, I mean, I can't describe it again. It was just yeah, that searing pain of like, or that searing fear of knowing that I have to pick her up on Thursday morning and I have her until Monday. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with a two-year-old girl? I don't have any friends that have two-year-old girls. I don't have any family to help take care. It was just this weird feeling. But the funny thing is I look back on it and I'm like, you know what you did? You went online and you found what's free to do in Charlotte. And then we went to like the nature museum and yeah. then we went out, took her out to eat. And then I put her in front of the TV to watch whatever little Einstein's and I gave her food. And then we walked outside with the, like you did stuff. It was the more thinking of it was like, yeah, the bottom, the bottom was like just this weird kind of anticipation and dark fear of not thinking I could handle it. Like, I don't know how to be a single dad kind of a, yeah, I don't know how to do it. And it's overwhelming. And I just, I'm not suited for this. (laughs) Yeah. The other one, my mom with dementia. Yeah. Like I had no clue how to handle that. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you know how to handle your mom? That's basically out of her mind. Like she just, she cannot provide or do anything for herself. Mm-hmm. And then I put her into a system that essentially is just trying to put butts in seats and beds. And they're not really looking out for her best interest. Not that they're bad people. It's just the way the system's set up. Mm-hmm. It's a business. Yeah. It's just caring for them. Very basic care. Right. And then basically also like, you know, she'd break her hip. Mm. They put her into a rehab facility. They're trying to get them in and out of these rehab facilities so fast Mm. that like they would give me a call. They'd be like, you have to pick up your mom at noon today. She's been released. I'm like, pick her up and do what? Like, what do you want me to do with her? (laughs) And then I would like tell these people, I'm like, I'm not doing that. You guys have to keep her and then get some sort of like handicapped shuttle to bring her back to where she lives. What am I going to do? I'm not equipped to like, and then they would give you a guilt trip on the phone. So like they would say Mm. like, I can't, you know, it's really sad that you're not going to pick up your mom. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Shit like that would happen. (sighs) That whole experience. That's a whole, I mean, we did an episode on that. Yeah. I was going to say people can go back and listen to that episode, but even at that time you said something about you just learn. Yeah. I forgot the term that you used, but just a very quick learning curve because you had to. Yeah. You're just learning on the fly, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're learning as you go. And the last thing I wrote was like, I just question mark like COVID. It's not really a bottom, but it was like, it was tough. I mean, I was working from home to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so I had very few social interactions except for my family. So mine were like going to the gym, going out to eat with friends. Like I would really look forward to those things. Yeah. And then they were all taken away. Yeah. And then it was all shut down. And I know it's doesn't sound like a big problem, but like when you start removing just the small social interactions where I had limited before it even happens, mm-hmm. it was tough. It was, I mean, there were moments where it was just like, I just felt like I wanted to jump out of my skin or just, I don't know, just jump on a plane and just go somewhere. Yeah. Maybe a lot of people felt that way. I definitely think so. I felt like those were like the bottoms that I felt. And when I look back on them, I wouldn't want to go through them again. Mm-hmm. But I think back on it, I'm like, I did that. I got through that. Yeah, I made it. And then so I know the next one that happens, it's going to suck and it's going to feel like shit. But I can kind of at least remember the stuff I did go through. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think about not denying somebody of their bottom. 
they don't have anything to remember that they did. So how would they have any confidence to go through anything? Right. That's the sad part about it. I'm very concerned with, again, going back to the kids, like that's such a tough one for me because like I want on occasion, like I'll get a call from Nia's mom saying she forgot her homework and, you know, this is an important test and blah, 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 blah. Part of me is like, I'm not getting her. No, she's got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then if she gets an F on that test, then maybe if she gets that one F, she'll never do it again. And that's like a little bit of a bottom for her. And now she learns. Mm-hmm. If I give her the test, maybe it fucks everything up. And now she's like, oh, people will just help me, you know? Yeah. And these are all like very muddy situations where oh, yeah. I don't feel like one answer is right or one answer is wrong. Yeah, because every kid's different, every parent's different. But yeah, they're, I think it was in kindergarten or first grade. Again, my kids are still little, but I vividly remember one day after school. And we do expect a lot from our kids. I expect them to remember when their library day is. And I do ask in the morning, like, hey, is it anybody's library day? Do you need your books? What's going on? Mm -hmm. Because basically, you know, you get to check out two books from the library. You get to keep them for a week. And you have to remember that, like, every Tuesday or whatever is library. And you have to bring your books back or you don't get new books. And to my kids, that's like, the world is crashing down. I didn't get new books today. (laughs) I have to read these stupid old ones that I got a week ago. <laughs> Brats. And we have done a lot to make reading be important to them. So that's a little bit of parent mm-hmm. conditioning kind of going there. But my daughter, one day after school, she was all in tears. And I'm walking to get her. And I see her walking towards me. I can tell something's wrong. And she doesn't even say hi. She goes, you didn't bring my books and you didn't <laughs> tell me it was library day. And you know, she's like I said, she's like five. Whoa. And I just kind of stood there and looked at <laughs> her with this look on my face. And I said, you hold on a minute. It is your book. It is your school. It is your library day. Right. This is not mommy's fault. It's your fault. Good for you. And just like super firm. I understand you're upset. Yeah. And I told her, I will give you a hug because I understand you're upset, but I want you to know this is not mommy's fault. Right. It is not my job. And we talked more about it, but right there in that moment, like on the sure. sidewalk outside, I had to Let's set the record straight here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And she knew that. Yeah. Okay. Like that wasn't a shock, but she needed to try to blame it on somebody, I guess. Right. And I'll tell you what, that kid has never forgot her library books again. And imagine if you would have reacted like, you're right. You're right. I should have. I'm sorry, honey. You're right. It's my fault. People do that, though. People do that all the time. You know, I already got a shit list to do here. Like, let's just (laughs) add something else on there. What else? What else can I do for you, baby? I'm so sorry. Limit. What else? Right. How about I spoon feed you? Right. (laughs) I know. Mm -mm. And on the opposite side of that, not that spectrum, but of the spectrum of the mother that's like <laughs> ingratiating and like, oh my God, what can I do? We have a child that is our daughter's friends that stays with us all the time. Mm-hmm. And we call it the outdoor cat. Okay. And our parents, they're not around a lot. Okay. Let's just say. And so she's with us a lot. She's in a tough spot, in my opinion. Okay. All right, we'll just say that. And like that kid is like, she comes here, she washes all her dishes. She cleans up our daughter's room. 
first one to say thank you for it almost becomes a joke in the house. Like uh-huh. she basically says thank you before the kids say thank you for anything. Everybody kind of laughs because and our kids are like, you know, shrugging their shoulders, like, oh, she said thank you before we did. But she's just like, she became this she beat person. Us to it. <laughs> at 14, at 14 years old, she's like literally like an adult and she like takes care of herself. Mm-hmm. She fends for herself. She doesn't complain. Mm-hmm. She will go out and like walk to the store by herself, like super independent. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that it was the parents' intention to make her that way. It's just what happened. That was the consequence of them not giving her much attention. Mm-hmm. It's this weird thing because it's almost like if you neglect the kid they become stronger but then what other issues come along with that right so you don't want to have it like be neglectful towards your kid but you also want to give them a lot of freedom to kind of make mistakes and figure out the world for themselves yeah it's that thing it's like she hit a bottom because the parents aren't around she has to fend for herself there's no other way yeah the like mommy role or like caretaker, even just for my own household, that came so easily to me. Yeah. And I had friends point it out, like, how do you know how to cook all this? Like you guys throw great parties and you literally cook all this food for us to just like party because we're like 20 something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really took a minute for me to be like, wow, you don't know how to, what? How do you not know how to make dessert or whatever. I didn't understand. Yeah. And in time, I looked back and was starting to realize I'm the oldest of our siblings. And dad was an entrepreneur. And so mom worked at the shop with him as well. And so they were gone like all the time. And so when I think back about that, what that looked like was we would all get off the bus and I was in charge. Okay. So from 2.30 till whatever time the folks walked in the door, I was in charge of two other young children, one five years younger than me and one 10 years younger than me. Wow. How old were you? I remember taking care of my brother when I was like middle school-ish. Yeah. So he would have been in elementary. Like probably like 11, 12. And then in high school, I remember being there for the little one. So by the time I'm 15, she's five. Wow. So to be a teenager and essentially in charge of the household for multiple hours, doing snack, cooking dinner, making sure the little ones did their chores. Well, I was mommy. Sure. And I never put that together until mm. much later in life. And I had people say, oh, you're so good at this. Like, how do you know how to do all this stuff? And I was like, uh, by necessity. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, That's a great quality that I have, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm also very conscious of the like later teenage years where I was very vocal and very pissed at my parents about Mm. them never being there. And I would tell them. You resented it a little bit. Absolutely. And I feel like this child's going to be like that. I really do. I feel like they're going to be really resentful of their parents, which isn't a good thing. Yeah. It's like you're thankful for that experience because you were able to manage yourself and be an adult and seem like you have your shit together. But then there's that piece of you that's like, you assholes did not let me have a real childhood. Right. That's kind of a bottom in the way. You don't know it's a bottom when you're going through it. But when you're an adult and you look back, you're like mad at your parents that they didn't be there. Yeah. And when you were an adult, you have nobody else to blame. It's like you have the world maybe to blame, right? 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you could be depressed and be mad at the world, I guess, but that won't help you. Yeah, but like when you're 12, like you're rightfully so, you're mad at, you know, you're resentful of your parents mm -hmm. because you're doing their work kind of like, why would I gave up yes. my childhood to do the shit you should have been doing? Yes, and that was the button that was pushed for me because I remember saying like, oh, well, all my friends are going to so-and-so's house or they're mm -hmm. all going to the movies or they're doing this or like whatever, can I go? And their response back to me was, no, you need to spend family time with us. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> like the fire came out yeah. of me. You know, I was God, like, right. If we had been a cursing household, I would have been telling them <laughs> F you. <laughs> like, because yeah. I was like, no, I spent time here. I took care of them. Plenty of family time. Do you see the dishes? Do you see this? Did you notice that your little babies got dinner last night when you came in at 10? Like, did you notice? Right. And I'm still not allowed to go somewhere like nah. So the difference, I think, that as an adult, like as an adult, when you're going through a grind and like you're struggling and you're doing shit you don't want to do. Yeah. You still have the thoughts of like, you have friends that are partying probably still or like. Yeah. Yeah. You still have that like, this is BS feeling. Yeah. This is bullshit. Why is like so-and-so still get to like go out every night and party it up? Yeah. It's not fair. But then you start to see those people that were partying it up in their 20s that are struggling in their 30s and 40s. Now you it all comes around, right? Yes. So eventually it all comes around mm -hmm. and you benefited a lot from your parents not being around, but you also like suffered a little bit mm -hmm. and felt very neglected. And in that way, I think you feel like they had a hand in that, right? Like they right. kind of did that to you. Whereas when it's your, like say debt, like what we were talking about earlier, that was our mess up. That was our mistake that like, we got into that of our own accord and we had to get out on our own. Yeah. So it is different when you feel like someone else has dealt you a bad hand versus this is just some choices that I made that didn't go right and now I'm going to fix it. Yeah. But either way, I'm all of those things I look back and I feel like, okay, there's multiple different types of rock bottom throughout Yeah. You know, the past 30, 40 years. And you could reframe them or just put them in certain perspectives that help you or, yeah, you know, you could be the person that just resents that for the rest of your life. And it's always yeah. going to be something that like, this is the reason why my life is shit because that happens. Mm -hmm. Or you could be like that happens. So my life isn't shit, yeah. you know, like the, I did it because like, in spite of that. Exactly. Yeah. It's so cool. Like when you think of it, all this stuff in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so like, there's no good answer to it then. Right. So like you give somebody a handout in the short term, it's helping them. There is a benefit to them, but in the long term, it really isn't. Yeah. The flip side is you let them go through a really hard spell and mm -hmm. that sucks. But then hopefully at the end of that, they come out like stronger and more resilient. Like there's no easy way either way. You get to have it easy and then you get a great life too. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, sometimes you got to have like really hard stuff and then have a good life. Right. If you have really easy stuff in the beginning, it's going to have a hard life later on. Yeah. And maybe if it's so easy for so long, maybe your trajectory is flattened a little bit because you're not going to do anything much. Right. You'll just sort of be mediocre, right? Because mm -hmm. whatever... it was good. Why would you change it? Why would you do anything? Yeah. I wish I don't really get that. I don't get that <laughs> perspective. Mediocrity, again, I don't think I'm trying to be like uh, super successful in any like one thing, but the whole idea of just being like this dull kind of, I don't know. I just want like some excitement mm -hmm. and some 
and not even passions, but like just things that kind of inspire you. Without that, like just seeing people like sitting around watching TV all day and eating shitty foods and just, I don't know, just I couldn't live with myself that way. And it doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me anything. It's just, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. It's not of interest to you. That doesn't look fun. That seems like a sacrifice. That's like a prison almost. Like it mm-hmm. put me in solitary confinement. That's why this whole COVID like thing with quarantining, I'm like, I don't think I could do two weeks in a room. Yeah. Honestly, I think I'd go lose my mind. Right. Okay. Anyway, on that note, so finding your bottom. And not preventing others from hitting their bottom, letting them hit their bottom. Yeah. What a weird spin of like a term, right? Don't prevent them. Yeah. Oh, don't deny them of their bottom. Imagine that's like, that's such a weird way of thinking of it. Well, and then I'm thinking about if I were inclined to help somebody, let this be something that I remember to stop and ask myself if what I would want to do for them would actually be help. I don't know. Wait, say that one more time. (laughs) So like, I want to remember this conversation if I feel inclined to help somebody. Mm -hmm. To take a step back and remember this and question if what I were considering doing for them would actually be help. Mm. Or just if what whatever that extension would be, mm-hmm. would that actually help them? Is it actually help or am I preventing them from hitting their rock bottom? It's a tough one, right? Yeah. But it's good to consider. If you don't consider it, people just emotionally give and Mm-hmm. And just enable and just, you know, it doesn't feel good. I don't want to see anybody struggle. Here you go. You know what I was just thinking of? I don't know if this relates to you, but you've seen Forrest Gump. <laughs> and you've seen the scene where Lieutenant Dan gets like his legs blown off on the battlefields. Oh, yes. And Forrest grabs him and like calls him out. And he's like, don't call me out of here. I want to die here. All my family's died here. Yeah. He calls him out. And then there's like that whole long scene half hour long of the movie of him being resentful towards Forrest for like, he didn't let him like his bottom was like dying in this. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking it the wrong way. Maybe like the bottom was like living. Yeah. He wanted the easy way. He's like, just let me die there. No, I'm going to pull you out. Now you have to try to live with no legs. Mm -hmm. And you see like he comes around. It's like one of the hardest things for him in his life. And he finally comes around he gets prosthetic legs and he gets married and I thought that was kind of like an interesting scene of like. Mm-hmm. I think that's so real too. I think a lot of vets feel yeah. that. They're like, I should have died back there. Why am I here? And so that's the depression and just all of the PTSD. A lot of stuff I think does stem from that. Like I signed up to be in that war. That was my destiny. Right. So then they're pissed that they're back in real life and civilian life is pretty hard for some of them. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. So let's wrap it up. (laughs) Well, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be on again in a few weeks. Yeah. Right now we're doing like every other week, it seems like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we have a couple of friend episodes coming up over the next month or two. Yeah. So this should be interesting. But again, thanks for listening. Come follow us at unlearningproject.org. We'll see you next time. 